0: And the worst part, of course, is that she also possessed many of the other qualities prized by the superficial man.
1: I see. So as you can see, I've got a bit of a problem here. Well, if I hear you correctly, and I think that I do, my advice to you is to... Finish your meal, pay your check, leave here, and never mention this to anyone again.
0: Can't be done, huh? The switch? The switch.
2: <laughs>
1: Can't be done. I wonder. <laughs> Do you realize in the entire history of Western civilization, no one has successfully accomplished the roommate switch?
2: <laughs>
1: in the Middle Ages, you could get locked up for even suggesting it. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have roommates in the Middle Ages. <laughs> Well, for one thing, they didn't have apartments. (laughs) Well, I'm sure at some point between the years 800 and 1200, somewhere there were two women living together.
0: The point is, I intend to undertake this, and I'll do it with or without you. So if you're scared, if you haven't got the stomach for this, let's get it out right now, and I'll go on my own. If not, you can get on board and we can get to work. Now, what's it gonna be? All right, damn it, I'm in i couldn't do it without you all
1: right let's get to work but you know what i thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the
0: mysterious just made depressed all right hard to reach i mean i'm dying here
3: i don't like going out you know that i get anxiety when i have to meet people you know how hard that is
4: everything you touch turns to shit
0: like King Midas' idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck ups I've ever met in my entire life.
5: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Give Us a Second. A uh, Minisode series. Brought to you by The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is our 48th edition. Our favorite episodes of Seinfeld Volume 3. That's right. We're We're back, back for more.
6: Finally. Been a little bit of a delay, but always happy to jump back into this world.
5: Oh, yeah. And there will be more volumes. I think the listener response has been pretty positive to the Seinfeld stuff, and there's so many great episodes to talk about. Always do good download numbers for us. The greatest sitcom of all time, in my humble opinion.
6: Absolutely the most relatable character of all time for me in one George Costanza and for me, Newman. <laughs> You're kind of like a Newman-Kramer
5: hybrid. Six more episodes to talk about, but before we get into those, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter, at Pod, Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Give us a rating and review, if you feel like it. If you'd like a sticker, let us know on Twitter, and we'll send that to you for free. And find us on Letterboxd, zach 1983. And Matt Crosby. I don't want to waste any time. No, Let's if, get into it. If
6: you want to know the plans for the schedule for the rest of the year, listen to another episode.
5: Not this one. Well, there'll be more information coming up. There's no reason to get into that. No, no. Give us a second. These it, are our mini-sodes. Yeah, yeah. All.
6: And this, these ones are just here for fun. We don't need to get into that serious business.
5: <laughs> the rest of the podcast, yeah, deathly serious. Yeah. <laughs> give us a second's fun. Right. So this time around, we ended up with a triple play of season 5 episodes and then a couple based off of food. Uh-huh. Also an interesting connection of tennis? Yeah, I noticed that too. A couple yeah, yeah.
6: And I think this is just sort of what happens with this show. Oh yeah. You just there's like, these
5: weird little through lines. Right,
6: like there will be like 30 episodes apart and, and there's obviously like the clear references, but then there's just things that happen similarly between multiple episodes.
5: Well, when I looked at our initial picks of ones we wanted to do throughout these volumes of episodes of seinfeld i noticed that of the ones we had left after the first two there was a glut of season mm-hmm. five episodes so i thought well let's knock out three of them real quick all in one go the first one is the lip reader season five episode six written by carol Leifer, directed by tom Sharon. George decides to use Jerry's deaf girlfriend Laura, played by Marley Martin, to spy on his friends by having her read their lips. One of the great gimmicks for this show, really. Kramer claims he can also read lips and then tries to prove it. <laughs> Marley Martin, of course, appeared in this year's Best Picture winner, Coda, probably the most famous deaf actress, I would imagine. I, I think
6: that's probably
5: fair. It opens with Jerry and George at the US Open tennis event and Jerry noticing Some life these two lead by the way. Laura as one of the lineswomen uh, yeah. and George, George saying she's a BL. Yeah. And he's like BL. Beautiful lineswoman. This whole interaction just <laughs> reminded me of you and I. <laughs>
6: the BL. idea that he's just comp- yeah, making up some stupid <laughs> acronym that's just not creative at all, but also just like being so fixated on like <laughs> this lineswoman That's the most beautiful lines woman I've ever seen. Being at the U.S. Open, and that's what your takeaway is.
5: What else would you be looking at? tennis? (laughs) God. There are several sports that I just can't bring myself to ever care about, and tennis has always been one. Who cares? Yeah, I know.
6: But within this scene is the setup for the episode, which is that they're going to go to this party. And I love when Jerry says, I'll go if someone else drives. (laughs) (laughs) Summing
5: it up, yes, same. Elaine, meanwhile has a desire to not talk to the drivers for the car service that her company provides. And her fears do prove to be an accurate concern. And then Elaine pretends to be deaf and it all blows up in her face when she's caught hearing,
6: even though she's clearly not deaf, even before she's caught,
5: (laughs) it's not much of an act. Well, She said going deaf. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And then she was pushed over the edge all within the same car ride. Back at the U.S. Open, George is having his way with a big ice cream sundae, which gets caught on TV.
6: Always a big fear in my life when I go to sporting events. Some version of this, I'm going to get caught on TV doing something humiliating, ends up on ESPN's Not
5: Top Ten. I wouldn't necessarily accuse Seinfeld of always being the most subtle show, but this is so over-the-top that it actually stands out even by over-the-top TV standards. He is covered in ice cream. Right. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. You have to like know Like anyone at would that eat point, like this. Yeah. yeah. It's too much, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Because it almost makes it too silly. Like, what kind of human being is doing this? Well. <laughs> and then magically, when he goes back to his seat with Jerry, he's completely ice cream free. Yeah, I know. You'd be spending the rest of your day trying to, like, get out of this mess. Flies landing on you. Yeah. George is concerned that Jerry's going to become one of those guys who is just able to go up and approach women <laughs> that they don't know. And he's like, "What are you going to say?" And he says, "I don't know. Hi. You think you're going to be one of those guys with hi?" <laughs> yeah, I love that when they make the
6: comparison about like, well, it's it's like you know those people that walk over the hot coals. And he's like, "Yeah, but they're not mocked and humiliated when they get to the other side." <laughs>
5: Jerry tries talking to the woman. She doesn't respond, and it turns out that she's deaf. What are you, deaf? (laughs) (laughs) Which is all that she responds to because- She's turning around and sees him saying that. Elaine is feeling guilt over what happened with the driver, and she's trying to make a case as to why she's not a terrible person.
6: (laughs) I love the rare moments on this show when the characters do express guilt or remorse. And they're like trying to get back in someone's good graces because that does happen like a decent amount. Yet they're horrible all the time or doing something versus other people all the time.
5: When I shoe the squirrels, I say, get out of here. (laughs) I don't throw things, I don't try to injure. When I see freaks in the street, I don't stare. No, freaks in the street. (laughs) Oh, God. Us.
4: Hey, you know what? A friend of mine from work says that she saw George at the tennis match on TV yesterday. Yeah, yeah, me too. Hey, he was at the snack bar eating a hot fudge sundae. He had it all over his face. He's wearing that chocolate on his face like a beard, and they got in there really nice and tight, and he's... <laughs> I'm
3: sorry, George. But...
1: I don't understand. Things were going so great. But... What happened? Something must have happened. It's not you. It's me. You're giving me the it's not you, it's me routine? I invented it's not you, it's me. Nobody tells me it's them, not me. If it's anybody, it's me.
3: All right, George, it's you.
1: You're damn right it's me. Look,
3: I was just trying to, get- you
1: know, I know what you were trying to do. Nobody does it better than me. I'm sure you do it very well. Yes, well, unfortunately, you'll never get the chance to find out. <laughs> but I thought things were going great. Yeah, so did I. Did she say why? No. She tried to give me the it's not you, it's me routine. <laughs> but that's your routine.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, apparently, words out.
4: <laughs> hey. hey, Georgie. I saw you on TV yesterday. <laughs> really, at the tennis match? Yeah, you were at the snack bar. You know, on foot, Sunday. <laughs> Get out of here! I didn't see any cameras there. Oh, the camera was there, and the announcers—they made a couple of cracks about you. <laughs> cracks? What were they saying? That you had ice cream all over your face. They were talking about how
1: funny you looked. Oh God. Maybe Gwen saw it. Maybe that's what did it. Well, I tell you, it wasn't a pretty sight. (laughs) She must have seen me eating it on TV.
0: So she sees you with hot fudge on your face and she ends it? Do you really think she'd be that superficial? Why not? I would be. Hello? Oh, hi, Dad. You saw him? Really, with the ice cream? (laughs) All right, I'll talk to you later.
1: Bye. Bye. But your parents saw me on TV. Yeah. This is a nightmare, Kramer. How long was I up? It felt like eight seconds. One thousand, two thousand, three thousand.
4: I heard you really inhaled that thing. Did anyone tape it?
0: Can we move on? He thinks Gwen broke up with him because she saw him eating the ice cream on TV.
4: Oh, come on. If she's that superficial, you don't want her.
1: Yes, I do. <laughs> So I guess you're not going to Todd's party on Friday. Well, I can't now. Gwen's gonna be there. Well, she
0: should be the one that shouldn't go. Well, if a couple breaks up and they had plans to go to a neutral place, who withdraws? What's the etiquette? Excellent question. I mean, I think she should withdraw. She's the breaker. He's the breakee. He needs to get on with his life.
3: I beg to differ. Really? He's the loser. Ah. She's the victor. Aha! Uh-huh. To the victor belong the spoils.
0: Mm. Well, I don't care. I don't want to go anyway. I don't want to fight that traffic on Friday night.
3: Well, we can take the car service from my office. Really? Yeah, they don't know.
1: All right, I'll, I'll see you later. Okay. Hey, George. Yeah. To the victor.
5: George's girlfriend Gwen ends up breaking up with him, and he wants to know, was it the Sunday? Because it's been revealed to him that he was on television with Sunday all over his face.
6: Wouldn't that be enough? I, I would just be able to explain it away to myself that that was it. I wouldn't need to know. Well, I wouldn't then need then you wouldn't have an episode. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to know if that was the
5: reason. Right. Once he knows that that was the reason, I don't know what he's going to do with that information. Yeah, yeah.
6: <laughs> it's always about winning. Like He just wants to know so he can flip out on her for being the
5: worst person. I like the conversation that they have over who gets to be the one that goes to the party when the couple breaks up. Oh, yeah. He's the loser. Yeah. (laughs) She's the victor. To the victor go the (laughs) (laughs) spoils. Yeah. These are the type of conversations that people actually do have, and I think that's what's so cool about Seinfeld is that they captured a certain type of person, sure, that maybe not everyone would be able to relate to, but there's a relatability... To the minutia of their conversations, and of course, they're being delivered by funny people with funny writers, so it makes it better.
6: Well, hell, even George going on Jerry and the Lionswoman's date, it seems like so bizarre, but it kind of seems like that does
5: happen. Stupid stuff like that. Although, based on the fact that everybody seems so old on the show by today's standards, it seems doubly embarrassing. That's true. That's something that happens when you're like 17. Right,
6: right. Or maybe early
5: 20s. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's fair. George ends up tagging along on Jerry's date with Laura, and it it turns into an all-time Seinfeld bit. Oh, yeah. With the mouth covering. This scene is hilarious. I think it was actually Jason Alexander and Jerry who came up with that in the moment rather than I think originally it was written that they would just cover behind menus or something the whole time. Okay. Instead, they were like, why don't we come up with all these different ways to do it? Yeah, yeah. It is hilarious, but the punchline of it is the best. Yeah, that she somehow heard it, or heard like, it all. Yeah, yeah,
6: was able to lip read it all. There's actually, like I think, two really great iconic moments in this episode because it's that scene, but also when George is getting broken up with. Yeah. the It's not you, it's me.
5: I invented it's not you, it's <laughs> me.
6: <laughs> if it's anybody,
5: it's me. Later that night, though, Jerry and Laura have a miscommunication when he's saying... Six, and she thinks that he's saying sex. Right. Which doesn't really turn in, into, into anything plot-wise, but it sets the stage for what could potentially happen. For the miscommunications,
6: yeah. She's actually over it pretty quickly.
5: Yeah, I do have a bone to pick with what ends up happening because it doesn't really make sense. So they go to this party, the one that George and George's girlfriend were going to attend. They both end up attending it. The plan is to have Laura read to find out the reason why... Gwen broke up with him. Of course with Kramer in the mix, the lip reading at the party goes awry (laughs) and George ends up making a huge scene because there's a miscommunication. Sweeping. They're confusing sweeping and sleeping. Here's my problem with it, and I guess maybe you could explain it that Kramer is ignoring Laura and that he's trying to lip read himself Uh and he's the one confusing it but she's signing. right? And so the way that the scene actually plays out it seems as if she's reading lips and then signing to Kramer who claims he knows sign language and he's interpreting that for Jerry and George Uh the problem is the actual sign is a motioning to yeah yeah demonstrate it for me yes between sweep and sleep is nothing alike so that's only a confusion you could make when you're lip reading not when you're reading sign language right doesn't even make sense so you have to take it that he's just ignoring her and he's lip-reading himself.
6: Okay. She can't interpret it as sweeping and then do the
5: wrong sign to Kramer? It's possible, yeah. yeah okay. but it just seems weird yeah, yeah. that there's that extra step in there. I might be wrong, but doesn't she confirm what she was saying or no? Or is she- yeah, you, you might be right, actually, that she does,
6: yeah, which does hold up to your argument, that I think she does say what she was saying.
5: Yeah, there's just a, the the added thing with the Kramer stuff is sort of a little confusing, but of course it doesn't really matter. The right, joke right. is still funny. Yeah, yeah. George makes a huge scene because he thinks that his ex-girlfriend is immediately wanting to sleep with this guy. I love how they're so invested in these relationships. Yeah, I know they're like having a new girlfriend every episode. <laughs> <laughs> the little button at the end of the episode is that Laura who is actually deaf ends up with Elaine's driver. Right. After Kramer fucks up his ball man thing yeah, yeah. and then He's trying to talk to her, and she's like, I'm deaf. And he just like makes a face like, what? Because <laughs> he just went through the liar That's right. situation with Elaine. The next episode that we're going
6: to discuss is The Stall. Just one of the best endings to any episode ever.
5: Six episodes later, season five, episode 12, written by Larry Charles, directed by Tom Sharon, Also noteworthy for a guest star. Elaine and Jerry's new girlfriend, Jane, oblivious to each other's identities, Have an awkward interaction in the restroom. While Kramer is convinced Jane is a phone sex operator. George has a man crush on Elaine's boyfriend Tony, who is a Mimbo. Which was man crush even a term at this point? I don't think so, but I'm pretty sure they coined Mimbo. It is appropriate though. Guest stars include one of our favorites, Jamie Gertz. That's right. Also Dan Cortez. Really often
6: brought up on the show in quite glowing terms, I would say. Too much, frankly.
5: Yeah. <laughs> People have said... Yeah, we've received some, some documentation feedback. from her lawyers <laughs> saying, please stop. Yeah. We don't like these terms associated with her. I noticed Martin Scorsese's The Age of Innocence on the marquee at the theater oh, on yeah. the establishing shot. Oh,
3: I can't believe this. What a dope. Uh, excuse me. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is... Uh, This is kind of embarrassing, but there's no toilet paper over here.
4: Are you talking to me?
3: Yeah, I I just forgot to check, so if you could spare some. No, I'm sorry. What? No, I'm sorry, I can't spare it. You can't
4: spare it? No, there's not enough to spare. Well, Well, I don't need much, just three squares will do it. I'm sorry, I don't have three squares, now if you don't mind. Three squares? You can't spare three squares? No, I don't have a square to spare. I can't spare a square. <laughs> well, is it two ply? Because if it's two ply, I'll take one ply. One ply. One puny little ply. I'll take one measly ply. Look, I don't have a square, and I don't have a ply. No, 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 no! no. I beg you.
5: <clears throat> this episode is mostly known for. The scene that takes place in the restroom stall, the spare a square scene. I don't have a square to spare. Where do you stand on this? This scene? Who's in the right?
6: Oh, I think that Elaine. I think that there's a square to spare.
5: Oh, yeah, based on her behavior yeah. later.
6: Yeah, I have to side with Elaine here. I think that she was just unfortunate, and the person next to her probably had something. That could have got her by.
5: To be fair, we never see what the situation is. Unconfirmed. But based on her behavior later about napkins and Uh whatnot, it seems like she wants to be overprepared. Yes. (laughs) Although I bet if I asked Lindsay, she would be on the other side. In the immediate aftermath, when Elaine is telling Tony and Jane is telling Jerry, and they're both in the same movie theater, but they don't know where each other is, I love Jamie Gertz's delivery when she's like, Imitating oh, yeah. the voice,
2: "Help me, help
5: me!" She was insane. <laughs> the way she says, Ins-> "Insane."
4: She wouldn't stop. Help me, help me. She was insane.
5: I love how Jerry just sort of goes along with it as if it's completely normal what she's talking about. Right? Ah, oh, too bad those old ladies that used to carry the flashlights aren't around anymore. We'd flush her right out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Tony's like, hey, do you think if I jumped off that balcony, I'd get hurt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely enjoy Jerry's Tony impression where he flips up the collar. Tony. Oh. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Tony. <laughs> Elaine tells Jerry about the incident, and so Jerry knows now what the story is. and That's right. He becomes very concerned when Elaine says, I would recognize that voice anywhere forever. And so He's like, I got to keep them apart. It's
6: a mission just to keep these two from meeting.
5: Meanwhile, Kramer is coming over to Jerry's apartment to dial 976 numbers. <laughs> to use Jerry's phone. <laughs> Which, to our younger listeners, 976 numbers haven't existed probably in a long time. I mean, Jerry puts up with a shocking amount from Kramer. But it is a phone sex number. I think by the time I was like old enough to really know about it, it was mostly 1-900 numbers. Mm-hmm.
6: I know more about it from Punch Drunk Love.
5: yeah. But in the old days, it used to be 976 numbers. Gotcha. Like 976 tits (laughs) or something like that. (laughs) Okay, yeah. It is interesting that we get a couple of noteworthy monks things in this episode. First of all, Kramer refers to it as monks. That's true. Which is very rare. Uh Uh-huh. They usually only say coffee shop. And it's the only scene to ever show monks' bathroom at the end. Oh, okay, yeah. They coined the phrase mimbo. And then we learn that George has a non-sexual crush on Tony. Wearing the backwards hat. Yeah. I've definitely backwards known hat, George. this behavior. I've oh, definitely sure. seen it before. <laughs> yeah. Where there's just so much adoration. Yeah, yeah. And looking up to somebody that it kind of gets a little weird. <laughs> Recognizable, I'd say. Sort of like you uh-huh. with me.
6: Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I try to buy like a lot of wrestling t-shirts so I can be like
5: you. <laughs> How dare you say that on the podcast? <laughs> George wants to spend some quality time with Tony, and Tony invites him to go rock climbing, but then Kramer ends up getting invited, which upsets George. <laughs> George is mostly concerned with being able to make sandwiches for the outing. <laughs> I won't be able to make enough sandwiches. Tony, to- that'll be too many sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tony's what about using- bowling? <laughs> bowling, that's a rush. Tony's using a lot
6: of cool words or phrases like, I'm down, or do you want to go manana? Manana? Yeah.
5: I'm down. I'm getting a boil, Lance Mignana. <laughs> Kramer isn't quite able to place it yet, but he recognizes Jane's voice when he hears it.
6: <laughs> Insane. Oh, yeah. I love when <laughs> it's just like this phone sex thing is hilarious. It's acting yeah. like he's just doing it for like fun.
5: Well, when you actually overhear part of his conversation, yeah. it is kind of hilarious. I know. <laughs> that wouldn't be very good. <laughs> what about this rock climbing set? Insane. And then that. Far away shot where they're on the yeah. edge of a thing, and it's like, what in the world?
6: The fact that Tony survives this fall, based on what they're displaying to us on—I know
5: what is this perfect strangers? Yeah. It seems like way too big of a gimmick. <laughs> it seems
6: like they're at like the top of a mountain, which I don't know how close this can be to like Manhattan.
5: Yeah, it's one of the few times that Seinfeld went away from itself in terms of like what it traditionally would do, as far as like sets and uh-huh. locations, and it. It definitely sticks out as yeah, something yeah. that they didn't do often and probably shouldn't have because it doesn't right. look great. But there's an incident. Tony falls. I do like how they both just start screaming after he falls, though. Well, their ropes are gone, too. They just go to that cliffhanger, literally, <laughs> yeah. of the commercial break. And you're like, how the fuck would they get down? Yeah. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Before Elaine learns about the incident with Tony, Jane and Elaine have a near miss when Elaine comes up to the apartment and then Jerry gives her all that gum, yeah. saying that her Stupid. breath is bad yeah. so that she won't be able to talk. I love Elaine's delivery when Jane leaves. What is with the gum? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that doing these episodes has reminded me of, and something that people should never forget, is just what a comedic genius julia louis oh i says. know she's so good there's no one that can deliver these lines better she always comes up with great line deliveries she knows how to squeeze funny out of everything she's just an all-time great between this and veep yeah for sure and she's easy on the eyes too totally folks. great hair in the next episode that we're doing i particularly thought she was breathtaking uh. <laughs> and i would agree that she really was for breathtaking. real yeah George and Kramer are terrified to break the news about Tony to Elaine. Her reaction, his face! Did something
2: happen to his face?
5: (laughs) Yeah,
6: Jerry is just so hell-bent on making Elaine admit that she's being superficial in this relationship. And she denies it at first,
5: but, you know, it's all clear here. There's sort of a recycling of the old Mrs. Lincoln joke. Oh, yeah. So aside from the fall, how do you like the sandwiches? Yeah. (laughs) They have that little callback to the massage, if you remember. Right. In a previous episode when Jerry was dating a masseuse, she wouldn't give him a massage, and now they have Jamie Gertz doing it, and he says, I've been waiting a long time for one of these. Yeah, yeah. Which gets an absurd over-the-top reaction from the studio audience, (laughs) as if it's the funniest thing that's ever been said. (laughs) Kramer tells Jerry that he believes Jane is Erica from the phone sex line.
0: Uh, Jane, this is my neighbor Kramer. Oh, Hey.
4: Hello, Kramer. Well, hello, Jane. Jerry's told me so much about you, I feel like I know you intimately. Oh, I don't think so. No, we never met. I never talked to you before on the phone. All right, I'll see you later, buddy. Oh, wait, wait, go, you go. Uptown now, uh, to the Y. Oh, I'm going uptown, too. You want to split a cab? What about the driver? <laughs>
3: What are you talking
4: about? All right. I changed my mind. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think I'm going to go now. All
2: right. Well,
0: I'll see you later. Nice okay. to meet you. See ya. What's with you? That's her. Who? Erica. She's Erica. Oh, you think she's Erica, the phone sex woman? Jerry, that voice is tattooed on my brain. It's her. I'm telling you, it's her. Ah, uh, you're crazy.
4: Am I? Or am I so sane that you just blew your mind? <laughs> Is it? Or is it so possible that your head is spinning like a top? It can't be. Can it? Or is your entire world just crashing down all around
2: you? All right, that's enough. Yeah!
5: Jerry's in disbelief, but then when Kramer arranges to meet Erica at Monks, Jane shows up, even though Jerry didn't tell her. That he would be there. And so everyone just assumes that she's Erica and she gets pissed. She goes into the bathroom. But at that point, Elaine has realized who Jane is and rushes into the bathroom, which is a very funny visual. I know. That turnaround to look back at Jerry that Jane does, where she's just like, what? (laughs) After Elaine runs by to get into the bathroom. Right, right. (laughs) And not
6: just as like one roll, as like six rolls of toilet paper. Steals all the
5: toilet paper just for the opportunity to give her the payback. And then, as you said, when we kicked off this one, one of the great endings of all time. She comes out of the bathroom. She's so pissed. She says to Jerry, Don't ever call me again. She walks away, then turns back in like this breathy yeah, yeah. voice in Kramer's ear You either. And then, like, licks her lips. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> and they realize that, yes, Jane was Erica all along. Yeah. I love a <laughs> great so good. ending. Like I know that.
6: They do that thing where it's almost like they point at each other, like, Oh, <laughs>
5: freeze frame to wrap up our little mini journey through season 5 we're going to touch on the penultimate episode the Hamptons season 5 episode 21 written by Peter Melman Carol Liefer directed by Tom Sharon, the gang heads out to the Hamptons for the weekend to visit Elaine's new friends baby
6: this one noteworthy for me because I watched it air in primetime or whatever which is not very many episodes Wow, um, a season fiver. Yeah, I think it was just my parents were watching it, and I can distinctly remember this episode because of the whole shrinkage thing.
5: Oh my god, <laughs> yeah, it was like a cultural but, moment. We'll talk about that more when we when we yeah, get there. But this was like, and I mean, I don't know, I was pretty young, blowing up the world. When yeah, this, <laughs> yeah, you would have been really young.
6: Yeah, and it's not like I watched episodes. It was just one of those like they happened to be
5: watching it, and I watched it with. Are you sure night. it wasn't in syndication? Like at 7.30 or something? uh, I mean, it's possible, but... You would have been like pretty young when this was on. Yeah. I I guess it could have been.
6: I don't know. I feel like I remember watching it and then not really
5: watching it again for years. Because Seinfeld was so popular, I was watching it regularly in syndication when it was still on the air, and I don't even know how often I was watching the new episodes at that point, because it might have just been a thing where I didn't really realize that it was still on. I don't know. When you're a kid, you're dumb, and people were not as media savvy back then. Sure, yeah. So it was just a show that I knew that was on at like 7.30 on the Fox affiliate every day. Yeah,
6: no, I mean, this originally aired in 94. I think that checks out. We were in my first house, I remember, which we would move from then three years later.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's heading out to the Hamptons, including George's new girlfriend, Jane, played by Melora Walters, who is mostly known for Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Pretty great career then. A few of them. I guess she was only in, was it three or two? Yeah, I don't know. She was definitely in Boogie Nights and Magnolia. I'm not sure if she was in any 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 other ones or not. She did some other stuff too. It never really amounted to much outside of those Paul Thomas Anderson things. Right. But I've always kind of liked her. I like her too. She has like an interesting voice. And she's good in this episode. However, George and Jane, who is actually the same name as Jamie Gertz's right. character from the last one, which yeah. is kind of confusing, they have not had sex yet, but they're spending a weekend together. And Elaine has pointed out that that's strange. And Jerry says it's like she signed a letter of intent <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's actually George some he's in. great dialogue in this episode that obviously is hilarious because it's written by funny people and performed by uh-huh. funny people. But. It's those things that if you were having the conversation with your friend, you would think this was just completely the most genius thing ever, but it also feels real, like it could be said. We'll get there in a second, but I, I like—I was
6: blown away by a couple of lines in it. When they're uh, driving out here, but they're going through the whole thing about whoever's Hampton's place they're going out to, or this couple with the baby that factors in, but when they're doing that whole thing about the, you gotta see the baby. Like, yeah,
5: this is the second baby from uh, that couple.
6: Yeah, yeah, so... Man, does that resonate with me. Not exactly that line, but the whole thing of when somebody has a baby and you're like, you got to hold it. Like People are obsessed with you holding the baby. (laughs) The baby
5: can always tell that you're a piece of shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or you used to be.
6: But I am always just like, I don't want to hold the baby. You want to know why? Because I'm going to drop it and then it's not going to be very fun for anybody around here. I don't think anybody's going to be saying, you got to hold the baby after that.
5: You're having this meltdown. (laughs) Jerry's girlfriend, Rachel, played by Melanie Smith, who actually is one of the girlfriends to appear in multiple episodes. She appeared earlier in season five in The Raincoats and then would appear in the episode after this, The Opposite. As Rachel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Her character got to continue yeah. for a couple. They broke up after making out during Schindler's List. Yes, the yes. In Raincoats. Right, which, then, is re- which is referenced in this episode. For whatever reason, they brought her back to be the girlfriend again and she's in this one and the next episode, The uh-huh. Opposite, which is also a great episode. And I think yeah. we may have did we do that in one of the first two the opposite
6: uh yes I didn't see the making out during Schindler's list episode when it aired but I remember seeing the pr- promo for it that line always stuck with me yeah <laughs> like I had no idea what Schindler's list was at the time but I've always just remembered that as being like a joke that I've recycled over the
5: years as a
6: make out movie Schindler's list
5: not a huge fan of George's internal monologue on the drive- up. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, it doesn't we don't need it. It's a little too gimmicky to yeah. me. And it's also a little questionable by mm-hmm. today's standards. Yeah, ethics-wise. Obviously, wise. you're getting away with that in the 90s, but yeah. it seems weird to say stuff like that. However, George leaves the house almost as soon as he gets there to go buy tomatoes, and then Jane gets topless when George isn't around. And in the high-def presentation... You can clearly tell she's wearing a flesh-colored top. Yes, you can I clearly that too. see it several times. Right, like you could not in the original, non-high-def presentation.
6: Yes. and I'm sure that this was having an impact on me. This, just idea. the idea that oh, she's yeah. walking around topless. Uh huh.
5: This is what I was referring to a few minutes ago about stuff that if somebody actually said this, it would be the funniest thing you've ever heard someone say. Whenever Elaine's questioning why she's doing it and. Kramer's like, maybe she's trying to create a buzz. Oh, yeah. I wrote that down, too. You know, too. get some good word of mouth <laughs> going. <laughs> if someone actually said that, I would I would be blown away. Be like, That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm also not a super huge fan of the whole ugly baby thing, only because Jerry and Elaine really ham it up in a yeah, way yeah. that I, I never loved when they did stuff like that on Seinfeld. They do it sometimes. Look, we've all seen babies. Most of them look exactly the same. The
6: best part is when Kramer screams at the sight of it.
5: Yeah, Kramer, well, that's Kramer's thing. Right, right. to be a physical comedy to ham it up in that sense. It's like fucking Joaquin Phoenix in Inherent Vice. (laughs) Well, that reaction's so shocking that it's funny. But I would say, like, most of the time, babies either look the same. And if the baby was ugly, it wouldn't be so ugly to the point where you would have to turn your face and make a whole big thing about it. Kramer steals some lobsters off of the beach and the pediatrician at the house refers to Elaine as breathtaking, but then also refers to the ugly baby as breathtaking. <laughs> but the thing that jumps out to me is how-
6: Breathtaking Al- Elaine truly is.
5: Elaine, her friend, that casual vibe of just like, oh, you're staying over tonight to the pediatrician, Uh huh. which I- As if he's been like heavily drinking or something? Well, no, it's just a world that I've never been a part of. I don't really know how- Common, it even is or ever was, but just that people staying at a big vacation house together and yeah, well, they're I'm adults. Assuming he's out there at his own vacation house, right? I mean, Who know? Well, he might live in the Hamptons. Yeah, I don't know. he's a Hamptons doctor.
6: Sure, right. But I just mean like he's got a place nearby. It's not like he made a day trip out to there,
5: right? But it's yeah. just a thing like oh, you've you're at the house like you could stay over, which is seems weird. But I got to th- tell you,
6: the older I've gotten, and these people seem old enough. There is nothing better than no matter the situation, getting back to my own house.
5: Oh no, I definitely agree. Yeah. But This is not the only thing I've ever seen. This right. From this I is just agree. this kind of like upper middle class to actually upper class people who kind of just have people stay at their place. Uh-huh. It's like a whole big thing, and I don't know. It's just weird. Love
6: breakfast tomorrow, eggs with lobster.
5: Yeah. Jerry and Elaine decide that they're not going to tell George that they saw Jane Topless, but then Kramer immediately <laughs> spills the beans about Jane. The most Jane. predictable move ever. He's like, oh, yeah, I got these lobsters. This is great. Everything, this whole weekend's shaping up, and then you know George is all excited. They're listing good things, and then Kramer's like, I, I saw Jane Topless. Yeah. <laughs> Which, the funniest part of it is that George doesn't even care that Kramer saw her Topless. It's that Jerry did because yeah. of that weird rivalry. <laughs> There's some good banter here between Jerry and George. Think of me as a doctor. Right. And walks out. And then, (laughs) how good of a look did you see? If you had to describe him to a police sketch artist, would they catch the suspect? They'd pick her up in about a half hour.
6: But I like when he's
5: talking about how
6: they're going to get even. And he's like, the punishment should fit the crime.
5: (laughs) (laughs) And so George interprets that as being able to see Rachel naked, Jerry's girlfriend. This, of course, immediately backfires after he tries to do it, and then Rachel walks in on George right as he's pulling his swimsuit down after swimming. Uh Uh-huh. And this is the iconic moment of the episode where she's staring at him naked and then starts laughing, and Uh he starts flipping out. I was in the pool. I was in the pool.
6: They've made pornos based on this idea. (laughs)
4: Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm sorry, I thought this was the baby's room. I'm really sorry. I was in
2: the pool! I was in the pool!
5: I was having a lot of shrinkage discussions in the years following this episode, which I would have still been in middle school several years after this aired, even. And I can remember girls... Once you start dating, it's like seventh, eighth grade and all this different stuff's happening and girls talking about stuff like this. I remember like having a conversation where girls were asking, like, is this true? What about warm water? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> they, like they wanted to know a lot more about it. It definitely kicked off a conversation for some people who maybe weren't as familiar with how it all worked. Yeah, yeah. I, I would know. have to assume that the most adult women would have some clue that it's not always the same size. There's different variations but of it, a look. It
6: seems like what this episode's proof to us is maybe they don't. I guess. Yeah. I do love on this show when they use Elaine as like their litmus test for things.
5: It shrinks. <laughs> yeah. This is where I wrote Elaine is so gorgeous. Oh, I know. That part where
0: she comes in there. Did she do it on purpose? It was my fault. I, I told her the wrong
1: door. I was supposed to see her. She wasn't supposed to see me. So what? Well, ordinarily, I wouldn't mind, but. But what? Well, I just got back from swimming in the pool, and the water was cold. Uh,
0: You mean shrinkage? Yes.
1: Uh, Significant shrinkage.
0: So you you feel you were shortchanged?
1: Yes. I mean, if she thinks that's me, she's under a complete misapprehension. That was not me, Jerry. That was not me. So what's the difference? What if she discusses it with Jane? Oh, she's not going to tell Jane. How do you know? Women aren't like us. They're yes. worse. They're much worse than us. They talk about everything. Couldn't you at least tell her about the shrinkage factor?
0: No, I'm not going to tell her about your shrinkage. Besides, I, I think women know about shrinkage. How do women know about shrinkage? Isn't it common knowledge? like oh. I... I
1: the women know about shrinkage
3: what do you mean like laundry no
0: like when a man goes swimming afterwards it shrinks like a frightened turtle
3: Does this shrink?
1: it just
3: <laughs> does i don't know how you guys walk around with those things
5: <laughs> no one really questions the lobsters everyone just starts digging in except for rachel who is kosher Mm-hmm. doesn't eat shellfish does not eat shellfish so george is concerned that rachel is going to tell jane and they have not had sex yet together so he's afraid this is going to screw everything up and Rachel does in fact tell Jane something that she has no problem admitting to Jerry that she did I do feel like when you get a look at George you have to think tiny penis yeah
6: like is she really that concerned if she's dating this guy I mean come on I
5: know they treat George sometimes like he's just a completely normal guy yeah (laughs) it's like come on Melora Walters at this point is so far out of his league that it's insane I know I think she doesn't care about appearances exactly Jane does go back to the city, though, leaving abruptly. And I just wrote, bitch move. Uh-huh. It's a bitch move that Rachel does this. Just because, I don't know. Like her, It's not that uncommon for George to not get along with Jerry's girlfriends. That actually happens a lot. You're right. But I don't know. I don't think that George really necessarily did anything that... Okay, you could say that he tried to walk in on her, but I don't really think she knows that he did that on purpose. Uh-huh.
6: And he wasn't really successful, so I mean... <laughs>
5: I don't know, it just seems like overstepping your bounds by revealing this information. It's not like her and Jane are friends, right, really? No, no it doesn't seem like it. And the humiliation of, and like, plus, well, like, I brought a woman to this house talking, and she left because I have a tiny penis. And
6: talking about it when they're at the table together and just sort of like openly snickering and mocking him. Well, that's only know. if
5: you interpret that's when it happens. Okay. I don't know if you're really supposed to or not. Well, I, 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 don't yeah.
6: really. I wasn't interpreting that it happened then. I was interpreting that it already happened, and they're having like a follow-up yeah, laugh it about could it. Be. Yeah.
5: Although, why wouldn't she leave then?
6: Yeah. Does she really have to leave over this? Can't she just not sleep with them and then...
5: Well, we never hear her uh, side of the story. That's Maybe true. that's not why she left. Yeah.
6: She got an emergency One call. One of the
5: great things about Seinfeld is that... Some of this could be just George's own neuroses, That's like, true. we don't really know. Yeah. Kramer stops Jane's late night snacking attempt with the lobster.
6: I think this part's hilarious It because it almost feels like a little bit of revenge, even though she thanks him. Because it kind of seems like she's rude to him about the whole thing. And he kind of. She's rude to Kramer?
5: Yeah. When?
6: When she doesn't want any lobster the first time.
5: Mm, no. Nah. I didn't get that vibe. Okay. Oh, it's almost like he's testing her faith, I guess, then. I don't know. Well, I think he truly does admire her. I don't think that Kramer just says things to say things. He's okay. not like the other characters. Yeah, yeah. So when he he sounds like maybe he's joking, but I think he is being truthful. But for whatever reason, he thinks that she doesn't have strong willpower, so yeah. he's waiting for her. And the then scene's hilarious up. though. Now, for what I just said about what she did being a bitch move, I do think that George's reaction is so over the line that. <laughs> It almost defies any comeback that he could possibly Uh, uh have on the show, where I know that Jerry ultimately doesn't care about anyone but himself, and he doesn't really care about these women he dates, but it just seems like such a move that I would be like, oh my god, dude, I don't know if I can be your friend anymore. Yeah, yeah. But they downplay it in the sense that like everyone else just sort of shrugs like, oh, that's George being a dick. But it does seem like kind of a big deal that he did this. Sure. So he makes eggs the next morning. Doesn't say that there's lobster in it. She eats the the lobster. I'm not really an expert on different religions and being kosher and everything. But it seems like intent plays a part when it's a religious choice. I would think, yeah. Because that's the whole thing. It's not whether or not she eats it, it's like choosing to eat it That's or right. not eat it. And she was tricked into doing it. I don't really think it's that big of a deal, but I don't know. Like I said, I don't know anything about uh-huh. that kind of stuff.
6: Plus, she was damn close to doing it out of
5: free will, so. Yeah. I bet eggs with lobster is really good. I never had it. Yeah, I've, I've had some dishes. I enjoy. Which brings us to Season 6, Episode 11, The Switch, written by Bruce Kirschbaum and Sam Henry Cass, directed by Andy Ackerman Jerry wants to switch from dating a woman who doesn't laugh to her roommate who laughs easily Elaine has difficulty retrieving a tennis racket she loaned out and George enlists Kramer's mother Babs <laughs> to spy on his seemingly bulimic girlfriend <laughs> Just I, a, an insane plot of an episode I know
6: I know. I love the two storylines. The tennis racket one, I think, is like pretty throwaway. Yeah, it's not great. But I love the other two. And I mean, the Jerry storyline actually kind of seems like a George storyline.
5: A little bit, yeah. Except
6: the women are more believable with Jerry. But it seems like a George thing to start dating a girl and then want to date the roommate.
5: So Elaine loans out her boss, Mr. Pitt's tennis racket. I was never a huge fan of the time Elaine was working for Mr. Pitt. I just don't think it ever really went anywhere that great, in my opinion. I much prefer the Jay Peterman times. Totally. She loans it out because there's sort of a job being dangled in front of her at Doubleday. Jerry's dating a woman named Sandy, played by Jan Caram. She never laughs, Mm -hmm. which he finds annoying since he's a comedian.
6: I do think it's tough, especially when she does the... That's funny. Yeah. I've had a lot of those
5: in my life. Well, Yeah. I think them saying that was generous.
6: <laughs> I'm not doubting their sincerity, but I'm not saying it's
5: not brutal. The most shocking thing about the Switch, though, is that George is dating a model who oh, seemingly know. is famous enough to appear in the newspaper. And Kramer even makes a joke about George being a part of the glitterati. How is this possible? How is this not the plot of the episode? How it's- did George just end up dating a model out of I know. nowhere? It is infuriating. Ugh. The things that they choose to be the background information that isn't important and the things that actually are the plot are sometimes hilarious. Yeah, I know. Kramer plants the seed that maybe she's bulimic. Nina is the model. She's played by uh, an actress named Charlotte Lewis.
6: It would raise some questions, bulimia being one of them, but she is in a, like a rush whenever they finish these meals <laughs> to get to that bathroom. I, I get it. You would think so. I know, <laughs> but you're like, something is going on here
5: maybe she has ibs okay that's i, I that's <laughs> where my mind slack. would go i know I, I listen i'm not shaming her for it life is hard i get it of course if george was genuinely concerned if the woman was bulimic that would be one thing but of course that is not what <laughs> the is going real on reason is amazing the real reason is much more self-serving he's concerned about the money he's wasting on the meals that she's vomiting up right away of
6: course i'm concerned i'm paying for those
5: meals i'm very jealous of the cabinet space in jerry's apartment that's
6: true, yeah. Tons of cabinets in yeah. what is
5: not a big kitchen.
6: Mostly filled with cereal boxes.
5: I can relate to that. Sure. Turns out that Kramer's mother, Babs, is a matron, and that's just yeah. the type of person that George is looking for Maybe to I can bribe a matron. Whether or not Nina is vomiting after the meals, the woman from Doubleday hurt her arm with Pitt's racket, and so now it becomes super awkward when Elaine tries to get it back, and the woman is sobbing, saying, If I can play tennis... I don't want to leave. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The scene with Kramer's mother is great. And I love the balls on Seinfeld sometimes when other shows would milk not knowing Kramer's first name either the entire run or then just reveal it in the last episode. Uh They take a monumental swing to just be like, well, we're changing direction right now. He's Cosmo. Right. Because no one would be expecting it. Yeah, That's yeah. what's so great. It's just thrown into an episode, and you're like, oh, God, now we know Kramer's name. And Babs agrees to do what George wants wants her to do. He's going to bring Nina to that restaurant. Jerry meets Sandy's roommate, Laura, who was also the name of Marley Martin. You, you repeat yeah. names right. after a certain point. Laura, noticeably a babe. Yeah, Laura not only laughs at Jerry's jokes, but she is stunningly gorgeous. That's right. Insane. So he wants to make the switch. He gets it in his head. It's like a it's almost like Inception or something there's like an idea that's just in his head and it keeps growing now. He tells George. George advises against it and it <laughs> no one can make the switch. And once they finally set their minds to doing it, it sort of turns into like yeah. a detective story or something where there's like Spending a stakeout nights. and yeah, time is going and like jazz music is playing. Well, it
6: eventually being like, "No, you know what? It just can't be done." and then george comes back
5: i got it george's big idea is to propose a menage a trois
1: all right let's go over it again one more time
0: Ah. so i tell sandy that i want to have a menage a trois with her and her roommate that's right and you believe this course of action will have a two-pronged effect Firstly, the very mention of the idea will cause Sandy to recoil in disgust, whereupon she will insist that I remove myself from the premises. Keep going. At this point, it is inevitable that she will seek out the roommate to apprise her of this abhorrent turn of events. Continue. The roommate will then offer her friend the requisite sympathy, even as part of her, cannot help but feel somewhat flattered by her inclusion in the unusual request
1: a few days go by and a call is placed at a time when sandy is known to be busy at work once the initial awkwardness is relieved with a little playful humor which she of course cannot resist an invitation to a friendly dinner is proffered. Well,
0: it all sounds pretty good. There's only one flaw in it. They're roommates. She'd have to go out with me behind Sandy's back.
1: She's not gonna do that. You disappoint me, my friend. (laughs) Sandy wants nothing to do with you. She tells Laura, if you want to waste your time with that pervert, that's your problem.
0: It's a perfect plan. (laughs) so inspired so devious yet so simple this is what i do
5: pretty risque idea for a a 90s sitcom but they always manage to come up with these risque plot lines and then like never really say anything too crazy right elaine tries to get the racket back does not go well (laughs) even though it's her boss's racket She gets accused of stealing. The great payoff, though, to the whole thing, the switch, because they go through it beat by beat. Here's what's going to happen. She's going to be disgusted. Then she's going to mention it to Laura. Laura can't help but be flattered and intrigued. You call at the right time. Sandy's broken up with you. Now, Laura, you get her alone. You get that going, and then Sandy's going to be so disgusted with you that she's not even going to care that Laura's going to date. Like, George has an answer for everything. Oh, I know. (laughs) But what he doesn't have an answer for is, oh, what if she just says, yeah, that's a great idea. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
5: (laughs) And it's what happens. Sandy ends up being into it. I love George's reaction. Cannot believe (laughs) it.
0: Do you ever get down
5: on your knees and thank God you have access to my dimension? (laughs) (laughs) But Jerry's not going to do it. He doesn't see himself as an orgy guy. Which is a great answer and just like a reality check. I know. I'd love to say that I would
6: just do it. I think it's a lot more overwhelming and complicated when actually presented to you. Luckily, it's nothing I've ever had to worry about.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. In the little tag at the end of the episode, George admits he wouldn't be able to do it either. Yeah. Ultimately, Babs quits before spying for George and then ends up entangled with Newman out of nowhere. <laughs> Which ends the episode on a funny little moment of Kramer catching Newman and his mother together. we got two food-themed episodes to close out this edition of our favorite episodes of Seinfeld. Season 7, episode 6, one of the most famous episodes, The Soup Nazi. That's right. Written by Spike Ferriston, directed by Andy Ackerman. A surly soup stand owner obsesses about his customers' ordering procedure. But his soup is so good that people line up down the block for it anyway. Jambalaya.
6: Mm-hmm. I got the bisque.
5: This is actually based off of a real guy. We'll talk about that more in a minute.
6: This probably has the thing that transcends Seinfeld more than anything
5: with the "no soup for you" thing. People. It's definitely one of the breakout yeah. things of the show. There are a few, sure, for sure. But this is definitely right up there. Uh huh. Jerry's dating a woman named Sheila, played by Alexandra Wentworth. They have too much public affection and call each other schmoopies. This seems like something that Jerry wouldn't be able to handle, but... They sort of address that, yeah. though, in that conversation between George and Elaine, uh-huh. where they're kind of like, I never know what's going on. Like You never can predict what he's going to do. Yeah. <laughs> I love the lead up, the build, to actually seeing the Soup Nazi, because at first they're trying to get Sheila to come. She can't come. Then they're going to go with Elaine. Elaine gets distracted by the more on the side of the street. So then it ends up just being Jerry and George. Jerry's really building this up. There's like a certain way you have to do it. And if you don't do it, you're not going to get your soup. It's going to be a whole thing. Yeah,
6: which by the way, a lot of anxiety in my life over like ordering procedures. Well, would you ask
5: for the bread if there was no bread after the warnings Jerry gave?
6: No, but the pandemic kind of brought this back into my life where you're going back to places that you've been before, but the protocol is all different. (laughs) You have to order like different places than you usually do.
5: Elaine spots the armoire being sold on the road. She gets the nice face discount. She ends up actually asking Kramer to guard it because part of the storyline is she can't move it into her apartment on a Sunday, and then it gets stolen. Kramer is a good friend to have at times. Well, he doesn't actually do it, though. Yeah, I know. Because the armoire gets stolen by Bob and Cedric, who I think are hilariously referred to later as street toughs. (laughs) (laughs) And those guys, the gay couple street toughs, will yeah. appear in at least two or three other episodes after this. There are okay, a few. Yeah. They're in the one with the AIDS walk. They're in the Puerto Rican Day Parade one, Right, I'm pretty sure. And I think there might even be another one.
6: Pretty familiar guard situation for me. This is exactly why people
5: don't ask me to like watch stuff. <laughs> Just be like, uh, yeah, sure, take it. <laughs> Banya making an appearance in this episode loves those soup-themed eps. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, this
1: line is huge. it's like this all the time. Isn't that that Banya guy? Oh, no. It is. <laughs> Just be still. Not too late. I think he picked up the scent. <laughs> hey, Jerry.
7: I didn't know you liked soup. Hard to believe. This guy makes the best soup in the city,
0: Jerry. The best. You know what they call him? Soup Nazis. Shh, all right then. I'm, I'm not letting you cut in line. Why not? Because if he catches us, we'll never be able to get soup again.
7: Okay, okay.
1: Medium turkey chili. Medium crab bisque.
0: I didn't get any bread. Just forget it. Let it go. Um,
1: Excuse me. I, I think you forgot my bread. Bread, $2 extra. $2? But everyone in front of me got free bread. You want bread? Yes, please. $3!
2: What?
0: No soup for you.
5: George doesn't get the bread and is denied the soup. No soup for you, the iconic line. George returns again later, and this time Elaine comes with him, and this is her first encounter because she's actually trying to buy soup for Kramer, who's watching the armoire before it's stolen. She tells the soup Nazi that he looks like Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman, and she does an imitation. Although I guess Julia Louis-Dreyfus had not seen Scent of a Woman, so they had to like coach her and explain what she was supposed to do.
6: She's really pushing it in this scene, by the way.
5: She doesn't take it seriously. Yeah. And she gets the one-year ban? Yeah. (laughs) Which reminds me of Randall from Clerks. You're not allowed to rent videos here anymore. And the authority I wish I had at a store like that just to ban people (laughs) from things. So the Soup Nazi is based on a real guy named Ali Al Yeganach, who happened to be very offended by this episode and really did not like it. And after they filmed the episode and it aired, the cast and crew went to the Sioux Place and he threw them out. Oh, wow. (laughs) Including Jerry, yeah. Holy shit. However, this portrayal of this guy, this was not the first time in pop culture. Although this is the first time that he's mentioned with any kind of a name or shown. But he's actually referenced in Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, wow. Which came out in 1993, about two years before this episode aired. And it was confirmed on the DVD commentary with Nora Ephron that that's who they're talking about. Because there's a character that mentions a guy who has the best soup, but is also the meanest guy in the world or something like that. They're talking about the same guy. <laughs> Larry Thomas, who portrays the Soup Nazi, earned an Emmy nomination for his work in this episode. Jerry and Sheila visit the soup stand, and the Soup Nazi is repulsed by their kissing. Jerry ultimately disavows <laughs> Sheila to still be able to get the soup. Hilarious. I absolutely love this part, and it's crazy that they're able to overcome it. It's directly yeah, a parody of real Nazi Germany people like selling each other out, <laughs> which is a like, delicate subject uh, matter sure. to get into, but it's so funny. But
6: it's their over-the-top affection, and then he's just like, do, do I, know I know you? you? In her
5: face. <laughs> the breakup provides George with the opportunity to express his own disgust at Jerry and Sheila's baby talk and public affection, It's a great moment because he tries to rope Elaine into it, too, but Elaine sees where it's going way before it gets there, and she starts getting up off the couch and moving towards the door. (laughs) And then he's like, Elaine, and the door just closes, and she's gone. (laughs) However, as is always the case, when you shit talk a friend's ex, they get back together, and then George has to reference the pact
2: that they made about getting married. It
5: has no relevancy to what's going on, but he just brings it up. Later at the coffee shop, George and Susan take on Jerry and Sheila in a public affection battle with only one loser, George. Susan actually likes it and wants it to continue, but in the end, Jerry and Sheila break up again and George is just stuck now with an overly affectionate Susan. Oh, I know. (laughs) It just completely backfires. Kramer happens to be friends with the soup Nazi and he explains what happens to Elaine's armoire. So the Soup Nazi gives Kramer an armoire, not knowing that it would be for someone that he banned from the stand, and then he explodes on Elaine when he actually finds out the truth. Kramer, walking with Jerry on the street, recognizes Bob and Cedric, the guys that ripped him off. They go to confront them, but then (laughs) ultimately just run away. (laughs) (laughs) Me. The payoff of the episode is that Elaine finds the recipes to all of the Soup Nazi's soups in the armoire. She brings them to the stand to enact her revenge. This is a great ending. Which leads the Soup Nazi to close up and head to Argentina. Newman shows up running to collect what's (laughs) left of the soup in a big pot. There is a moment towards the end of the episode where we see a young Anna Gasteyer. Okay. Getting thrown out of the soup stand by the Soup Nazi. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those iconic episodes that we had to pick as one of these first groupings. Definitely. Right. There's just no way. Sometimes you get a little bored with the obvious choices, but at the same time, you can't not have them. Yeah, yeah. Which brings us to our last episode for this Give Us a Second, Season 8, Episode 8, The Chicken Roaster, written by Alec Berg and Jeff Schaefer, directed by Andy Ackerman. Kramer and Jerry switch apartments when a Kenny Rogers Roasters (laughs) opens across the street and the sign drives Kramer insane. Elaine abuses the company credit card for Jay Peterman. So let's talk for a second about Kenny Rogers Roasters. Did you ever go to one? No, negative. Did
6: you ever see one? I believe so. Road trips traveling around the country. I don't
5: think I ever saw one, but it is possible. I definitely never went to one. Yeah. All of the U.S. locations are now closed. They vanished in 2011. However, it is still Going strong in parts of Asia, including Malaysia, the Philippines, Indonesia, India, Thailand, and other Asian countries. Holy shit. For some reason, they really took to it over there.
6: (laughs) I always remember this episode, too. I think I saw this one in syndication, but when you're younger, it's one of those ones that just
5: sticks with you because it's... It's so crazy.
6: Right. That red glow in the apartment, (laughs) you're like, holy shit.
5: Yeah, the people at Kenny Rogers Roasters were initially... Up in arms about it and didn't want to do it, especially the ending with Jerry and the rat hat. Right, they thought that it would reflect badly on the food. But it it came down to Kenny Rogers himself, who thought oh, it would wow. be great publicity, <laughs> and he approved it and wanted to do it. Yeah, and I think it's the right choice, even though it didn't end up working forever. Because yeah, all right. obviously they closed, but it's the it only time on I ever really ever heard of that episode. Right. Yeah, and if there would have been one nearby, I probably would have tried it just because of this episode. Uh huh. Jerry runs into his old friend Seth on the street from college. Seth is played by a guy named Mark Roberts, who I looked into a little bit, just for the hell of it. Okay. Turns out he was the writer of 84 episodes of Two and a Half Men and the creator of Mike and Molly. Holy shit. So he went into the other side of the camera in the television business. It seems like he was pretty successful. Elaine and George go out to lunch and then Elaine is buying stuff on the Jay Peterman account, including this hat that George picks up. It turns out the hat is costing eight thousand (laughs) dollars.
6: It was like running through my head of I mean, this is the eighties and into the nineties had to just be the peak time of like expense accounts just racking up bullshit. Oh, for sure. And people getting away with it.
5: Things blow up for Elaine though when it comes to the company credit card because the company accountant is asking her to justify the purchases. She's able to do so eventually, all except for this hat, which George has possession of.
6: I don't even know how, even if they present the hat, how it's going to be justifying the purchase.
5: I don't know either what her plan would be, yeah. but maybe they could return it. Maybe they could compromise. I don't know. Yeah. I do like that when he initially calls her in her office, she's on the phone with Jerry, and then Jerry loses the phone face off, and he's just by himself because Elaine is so upset by the call, that then right. she just hangs up. <laughs> What did you think of George's dating strategy? Just well, if it's not going well, do the leave behind, get <laughs> in their head like a commercial jingle. Eventually they'll they'll cave. Yeah, I mean it seems like two different strategies. Like he's he, well he's stacking got a, them. the the leave behind is just to make sure he gets enough opportunities to get stuck in their head. Yeah, okay, right. Like a commercial jingle. Well, as we see it all works. The leave behind is definitely shit that people do. Yeah. I never did it, but I I know that people do it in real life. I've heard about it before.
6: I don't think I ever would have been in a situation where it was even possible. It's a great move, though, when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I like the jingle, to be honest.
5: <laughs> well, I think that's just something that works specifically for him. He's yeah. got to make sure he can get stuck in their head. He's <laughs> annoying at first, and then you're stuck in their head. Right. I know you particularly enjoyed the red light in Kramer's apartment. Just insane. Yeah, it's Just so ridiculous. Through. It's so all consuming. <laughs> it once again brings in the question like, what exactly is the layout of this apartment building? Yeah. It really doesn't make sense that there's some window that Kramer would have that it doesn't seem like they would be on opposite sides of a building, in other words. Like, yeah. I don't understand how he's facing one thing and he's, Jerry's facing another thing. a pretty skinny building, then. Yeah, I don't know. So because Seth, Jerry's friend, blew off some important meeting to go hang out with Jerry because they hadn't seen each other in years, he ends up getting fired. And this all coincides with Kramer wanting to drive the Kenny Rogers roasters out of business because Seth is going to end up working there. Meanwhile, George leaves behind the $8,000 hat at a woman named Heather's house, Heather played by Kimberly Kaleeb. Somebody, again, just shockingly out of George's league in a way that defies all explanation. (laughs) Yeah. Seth gets the job working at Kenny Rogers, and now Jerry and Kramer have to switch apartments so Kramer will leave them alone and not try to drive them out of business because Jerry feels guilty about Seth losing his job. This leads to a lot of great shit. First of all, Mr. Marbles, one of the great bits I think they've ever come up with. (laughs) Because it's so perfect that Kramer would have weird, creepy things in his apartment. And that doll is just (laughs) so perfect. They make kind of like a Chucky joke about it. Yeah, which is cool because Jerry has those random VHS tapes Uh on his shelf and one of them is Child's Play 2 for some reason. (laughs) However, Newman gets Kramer hooked on... Kenny's chicken, which becomes a problem because he doesn't want Jerry to know that he's actually eating and enjoying the chicken.
6: It kind of reminded me of Chick fil A because they have these like stances and stuff, but it seems like people who are against those stances are still just kind of like,
5: yeah, but it's good. I do like their chicken though. (laughs) Yeah. I'm always a fan when Elaine goes into like mean mommy mode. And Uh in this episode, she becomes George's mean mom when she drags him to Heather's to look for this stupid hat. And while she's like holding his ear, it is humiliating for him. And he's like, Look, he had some misguided idea that he's going to leave behind something. He can see you again. Believe me. I could not be more sympathetic. But (laughs) (laughs) I need this hat back. And the big mystery of the episode does turn out to be, well, what happened to this fucking hat? Yeah, because it's obviously not where George left
6: it because they do, for whatever reason, get permission to search her apartment.
5: Right. They can't find this hat, which George did leave there. We saw him do it. And now it's gone. So I assume she just threw it away. Right. Right and then is denying that that happened. George's retaliation for the hat not being found is to steal Heather's clock, (laughs) because he's treating this like a game. Elaine's like, this isn't a fucking game to me. This is my job. (laughs) I'm going to get fucking fired. Having Jerry and Kramer switch apartments provides the opportunity for them to do impressions of each other and essentially become each other. Yeah, yeah.
4: So I told Ipswich I'd have the hat by this afternoon. What am I going to do? You should sleep with him.
0: I'm on no sleep. No sleep. You don't know what it's like in there. All night long, things are creaking and cracking, and that red light is burning my brain. You look a little stressed. Oh, I'm stressed.
4: So, Kramer, what am I supposed to do if I don't have that fur hat by 4 o'clock? They're gonna take me down like Nixon.
0: You know my friend Bob Sacramento? I
4: thought he was Kramer's
0: friend. Well, he called last night about 3 a.m. and we got to talking. He sells Russian hats down at Battery Park. 40 bucks.
3: 40 bucks? Are they sable?
0: No, but the difference is negligible. Oh, yeah, I like this idea. All
4: right, let's give it a shot. Let's go. Giddy-up it's getting cold it's getting cold that was a close one but why do we have to keep this from jerry because if jerry finds out that i'm hooked on roger's chicken i'm back in there with the red menace
5: jerry talked to kramer's friend bob Sacamano, and he thinks that he can get a replacement hat for elaine but it turns out the replacement hat is made of rat not sable <laughs> <laughs> it's a rat hat yeah. <laughs> And the only thing that will save Elaine's job is to get Jay Peterman himself's approval. But at this point in the storyline, Peterman has left the company and Burmese disappeared jungle. to Myanmar, formerly Burma. <laughs> yeah. And it all plays out in this weird Apocalypse Now parody. Jerry discovers Kramer's secret when Newman is buying a bunch of food at Kenny Rogers <laughs> hey. Roasters, which includes broccoli. And Jerry knows that. Newman would would, never eat broccoli.
6: Even if it was
5: deep fried in chocolate sauce. Vile weed. For whatever reason, this Heather woman gives George another chance. Although George thinks they're still playing a game about the hat and the clock. Uh Uh-huh. So he shows up with the clock as if they're going to make some exchange. Meanwhile, the woman actually fell for his commercial jingle thing. And George blows it by the clock having its alarm ring. Which is just... An unfortunate ending to this story because I really would have expected more from this particular thread. And then George's thing of pretending it's a sandwich and then being like, oh, it's the last time I ever go to that delicatessen. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of weak. I really would have expected a little more payoff. But having like Jerry go into the chicken roasters with the rat hat and then the truth coming out about Kramer with the Kenny Rogers roasters food. That stuff all pays off great. And then the Apocalypse Now parody with Peterman.
6: I know George dates attractive women a lot on the show, which is always infuriating, but this feels like it would be a devastating blow to know that she was just getting like hooked and interested and then have it blow up in your face. I would never be able to recover from that.
5: Yeah. (laughs) Well, he always seems to bounce back with another beautiful woman. I know. It is some life. Okay, so try to keep this nice and tidy. It is a give us a second, a mini-sode. After all, it's been a little while since we talked about Seinfeld. We'll, we'll do some more this summer. I think there'll sure. be another set coming this summer. Six more episodes to talk about. Check it out on Netflix. Hopefully most of you have seen it already, but it's a great sitcom. One of the funniest shows ever, if not the funniest. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Give us a rating and review. If you'd like a sticker, let us know on Twitter. And find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.
3: You can run, you can hide, never let it inside. you living your life in the dark. Sooner or later, that gentle persuader is gonna catch up with your heart. Make you a dreamer. Believer, believing in love Right when a man's doing all that he planned And he thinks he's got just what he needs Life will deliver a shot that will shiver And driving him down to his knees Make him start giving, living, living again it's your mind that tricks you in believing every time love will turn you around turn you around well it's your don't have the time So you move away fast But you know it won't not last Cause you can't get her off of your mind Thoughts are burning Turning they turning around How do you know when to stay or to go And how do you know when it's real You don't need a sign to make up your mind You got your heart at the wheel want to start sharing, caring, caring again. Well, it's your mind that tricks you into you every time. Love will turn you around, turn you around. Well, it's your heart.
7: a berserk night out in, in the New New York. I know just the place for you. New New York's hottest club is Whimsy. Condemned by Glad and the EPA from Ghostbusters. <laughs> this old, wet Band-Aid found in a, j- in a jacuzzi is the kind of place that makes you feel weird the next time you see your parents. <laughs> this place has everything. Kufa hats, congas, MTV's Dan Cortez. <laughs> <laughs> and that TV channel at the hotel that's like, about the hotel? <laughs> the vibe inside is strange yet familiar, like when you see billboards for Seinfeld reruns in a Puerto Rican neighborhood. <laughs> Yo soy Costanza, weeknights at 66.30. <laughs> Stefan, real quick, how's Seth doing? Did he come with you? No, he's at home practicing how to sit behind a desk. (laughs) Stefan, I think the club you were describing might not be for everybody. Do you have any other recommendations for folks looking for, like, a more wholesome New York experience? Yes, 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 yes. If you are some dumb folks looking to just get murdered... (laughs) I know just the place for you. New New York's hottest club is Jan's new backpack. Discovered by a lackluster gay realtor named Anthony, who is late for every viewing. (laughs) This Park Slope slop bucket gives new meaning to the question, is that the little woman who played the principal in Kindergarten Cop? (laughs) This place has everything. Asbestos, lupus, (laughs) the magazines at Supercuts, Dan Cortez. (laughs) doorman who always high-fives children of divorce. (laughs) A building that that you, you can tell used to be a McDonald's. And if the bar isn't your scene, head downstairs to see the Prozac Doobie Brothers. What are the Prozac Doobie Brothers? It's that thing of when a woman in a depression commercial gets better at the end, So they show her at a smooth jazz concert. (laughs) Stefan, I know New York has changed with the new mayor, but there's gotta be a few upscale places for people to check out. Okay, yes, yes. Ritzy stuff. Okay. If you're well to do and you just gotta hunt humans, I know just the place for you. New New York's hottest club is Located where Donald Trump Jr.'s chin should have been. (laughs) This wealthy whack shack shack opened its doors in the two hours between when Farrah Fawcett and Michael Jackson died. (laughs) Needless to say, this place has everything. Skunks, K-Fobs, Cookie Crisp,
2: Dan Cortez. (laughs)